Welcome to the Meet Medic Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Suresh Kawadka. I'm a GP and lifestyle physician, and I'm a practicing carnivore. I've had great success myself and with patients by following a carnivore diet, and I want to spread the word about how to achieve optimal health through diet, nutrition, and lifestyle changes. In today's episode, we're discussing intermittent fasting. What is it, and how can it change your metabolic health? Intermittent fasting, otherwise known as time-restricted eating, has been around for decades. In fact, fasting as a therapeutic intervention has gone back thousands of years to the days of Hippocrates, around 450 BC. He used to recommend therapeutic fasting for all sorts of diseases and illnesses, prescribing water-only diets or possibly medicinal teas or predominantly liquid diets for others. Even back then, the benefits of fasting were seemingly well known. Now fast forward 2000 or so years, and now intermittent fasting is very popular. Is it helpful though? Or is it just a fad? Is it required? Or is it harmful? Well, let's discuss. So intermittent fasting has been around for thousands of years, as we said, but it's been probably only studied really over the last 100 or so years. However, even then, it's only recently really been popularized in around 2012 by Dr. Michael Mosley with the 5-2 diet. Now, most people have probably heard of Dr. Mosley or the 5-2 diet. Now, interestingly, outside of the medical world, fasting is performed by many cultures and religions around the world, such as, you know, like Ramadan and, and Lent, for example. Intermittent fasting has been shown in literature to be beneficial in weight loss and other medical conditions such as type 2 diabetes. But anecdotally, many people report it can be helpful in numerous other health conditions and ailments. Even anecdotally, you know, with things such as a, as a cure for cancer. How does it help? Well, we don't know exactly how it helps, but we do know that some of the mechanisms of action. Now, I briefly discussed the fasted state in a previous episode, and if you wanted to watch that about fasting on a carnivore diet, please go back and watch episode four. So there's really two main ways I think in which it could help. Fasting can reduce glucose, insulin, and other hormone levels within the body. And the second thing is called autophagy. Now, I'll come back to the hormones, but first, let's discuss autophagy. Autophagy is the body's process of reusing old and damaged parts of cells or the cells entirely. Cells are required as really the basic building blocks of all components of the human body. And over time, they can become damaged or broken. Much like broken stuff in our household, if we don't do anything about it, you know, these bits of cells or entire cells can become junk that just kind of clogs up the cells or, or the rest of the body. If we don't want them causing issues, then it's sensible to either clean them out, repair them, or recycle them. And that's what autophagy is. These cells can be either repaired or recycled. Autophagy is kind of like quality control for your body. If the cells aren't working correctly, well, we need to do something about that, and we need to repair them or replace them. Why does this matter, though? Well, just like in our houses, we don't want junk or, or litter building up. 
It'll get in the way of normal processes. You know, it's hard to move around your kitchen when it's just full of rubbish. It might stop things working correctly or just start to cause damage to other things around it. So just think about something in your fridge going mouldy because it wasn't thrown out. Eventually, it can start to spread to other food. Now, another way to think about autophagy is like cleaning up lines of computer code, if you're a bit of a geek. You don't really want all that extra stuff in there that could cause an issue or slow the computer down or, or a web page down, for example, or just even worse, make the whole system crash. So autophagy is important for repairing and recycling these damaged cells, but also potentially for longevity, that is living longer and healthier. It's not known exactly how fasting induces autophagy or at what point it really starts, but it's likely due to stress on the body, which fasting can induce. We don't know exactly how long you need to fast for to induce autophagy, and studies on this do vary but it's estimated to be at least around 16 hours of fasting, which is why I believe 16-8 is a popular type of protocol. Now, there's other ways to induce autophagy, like a low-carb, high-fat diet, exercise, and calorie restriction. So autophagy is helpful, and as far as we know it, has no real downsides. Now, back to the hormones. Intermittent fasting can affect our hormones in, primarily, a positive way. The main hormonal effect is on insulin. Now, insulin is our main storage hormone and really will primarily store fat. We generally don't want high insulin levels, as this can cause a myriad of other issues, which we'll cover in another episode. But high levels of insulin also cause high levels of insulin resistance which is a leading cause of heart disease, weight gain, type 2 diabetes, hypertension, and much more. It's really the one of the primary problems, if not the primary problem with metabolic syndrome and conditions such as polycystic ovarian syndrome. Now, the longer you can fast for, the lower the insulin levels will fall, and then the lower the insulin resistance will go. The effect is somewhat logarithmic, that is, the longer you fast for, the bigger the effect is. So it's exponential. So how long can you actually fast for? Well, believe it or not, the longest fast on record is 382 days. That's right, 382 days. This was a Scottish man called Angus Barbieri. He lost 276 pounds in that time. Not surprising, he didn't eat for 382 days. Um, he was under medical supervision the whole time and was consuming vitamins and other supplements to help him. But he wasn't actually in hospital the whole time, on a bed, tucked up to drips and so forth. No, he actually was at home. He just went into the hospital, I think, every few days for some tests and monitoring. Now, I'm not recommending you do a 382-day fast. And if you do, well, look, I think you probably need some serious medical oversight. But, you know, usually 16 to 24 hours is very safe. So common fasting regimens are 16-8. Most people have heard of that. That's fasting for 16 hours and eating for 8. Or maybe 18-6 or 5-2. So that's eating for 5 days and typically fasting for 2 days. Either complete fast or maybe just a 16-8 on 2 days. 
Some do what we call OMAD or one meal a day. Others do alternate day fasting. So there's many benefits to intermittent fasting, particularly for metabolic health. And I recommend it to a lot of my patients. But there are also some dangers that you should be aware of. Now, whilst very rare, it can cause electrolyte disturbances. And there are risks of gallstones and kidney stones forming. And it can also trigger gout attacks. Thankfully, though, these are rare and mostly in high risk patients who didn't drink enough water or electrolytes or fasted for far too long. Patients with type 2 diabetes can fast, and even patients with type 1 diabetes can fast, but really they should be medically supervised. Intermittent fasting, not that dangerous as long as they're keeping an eye on their glucose levels, but prolonged fasting is much more dangerous with type 1 diabetes. However, some diabetes medications can be dangerous with fasting. So you should speak to your health professional before you engage in fasting if you have health concerns. This topic actually came up on one of my um, doctor Facebook groups, the Low Carb, Low Carb um, Down Under group. And uh, it was actually came out today. Someone was asking about the medications called SGLT2 inhibitors with type 2 diabetes. And a lot of people reporting uh, people following low carb diets or intermittent fasting have, you know, had serious issues when they've been on these medications. Now, it doesn't mean you can't fast if you're on these medications, but it should, it means that you probably have to stop them before doing fasting. So speak to your doctor about that. Now, if your doctor doesn't really know that much about fasting, then you can find one like me or other people, of course, that does to get advice from. So you've decided that you want to try fasting. Well, great. Fantastic. But how do you actually start? Well, thankfully, it's actually pretty easy. Once you've got the go-ahead from your doctor, or you're very confident yourself in starting, then you kind of just get started. Usually, you continue your overnight fast into the next day. When you're sleeping, you wouldn't normally be eating. So it kind of makes sense to extend this rather than trying to fit in a whole fast somewhere else in the day. As we said earlier, the longer you can fast for, the better it is, is exponential. And a 16-hour fast is actually better than two lots of eight-hour fasts. So in reality, this usually means skipping breakfast and then eating lunch. It's a little more than that, though. One of the biggest mistakes I see people making with intermittent fasting is that they think it's just not eating. Now that's actually not fasting. It's simply just not eating. Fasting means not having anything which will break a fast. Now I can't give you a definitive list of things that will or won't break a fast, but for the most part, anything other than water could potentially break a fast. However, black tea, black coffee, herbal tea, green tea, these are unlikely to realistically break a fast. But if you add anything with any real substance like cream, milk, even possibly butter, then it will probably break your fast. Butter's questionable. Now what happens then is you're not fasting, you're just simply not eating, and that's when you can get issues. Now, this comes back to what I mentioned in the previous episode about the fasting state, or the fasted state, rather. 
When your body is in the fasted state, most people don't get very hungry because the body can actually see its own fat stores and use its own fat stores. The hormone leptin gets unblocked. However, if your insulin goes up, leptin becomes blocked, your body can't see the fat stores, has very little energy itself because you've used some of your muscle glycogen and so forth overnight. So it, you kind of literally think that you're dying because your brain is telling you that you're basically dying because you've got no fuel stores as far as it knows. You've got no, no muscle glycogen, no liver glycogen left. You've got no fat stores as far as your body's telling it. And so you just become extremely hungry and extremely, you know, angry and hangry, basically. So this is a question I often get asked, you know, won't I feel hungry doing intermittent fasting? Well, actually, no, surprisingly not, because as I said, that's your hormones doing what they're meant to do, particularly these two hormones, insulin and leptin. Now, as I said, Leptin is a hormone that essentially tells your brain, it's okay, I have enough fat already. You don't need to keep eating. Think of it like your fuel gauge in your car and your fat stores are your fuel tank. Insulin blocks this hormone. So if you reduce your insulin, your body can actually see your fat stores and not panic because you're not eating. So another question I often get asked is, won't I just overeat when I do eat? Well, again, really, the answer is no, because your insulin levels will be lower and your leptin won't be as blocked. So you're most likely not going to want to overeat because your body can actually see that you've got plenty of energy already. Now, of course, you can force it and you can just overeat on purpose, but obviously that's a little bit silly. Now. Think back. I'm sure there's been a time when you forgot to eat breakfast. You didn't just die. You didn't just go out and eat everything in sight. You probably weren't even that hungry. You probably just got to the end of the workday and thought, oh, I haven't even eaten today. And then likely when you get home, you probably just ate a normal meal. However, Think again about a time where you've maybe skipped breakfast, but you've had um, like a really tiny, you know, piece of quick toast or, or you know, coffee. By lunchtime, you're probably starving and just absolutely famished, and you probably just gorge yourself on food. Just try it. If you're not sure, just try it. Go one day. Just do black coffee in the morning or nothing, and wait till lunch. See how hungry you are. The next day. Have coffee with milk or sugar in it and see the difference in how hungry you are on that one. Now, some people can struggle a little depending on their own metabolic health. And some degree of willpower may be required to push through at least in the early stages, but it improves pretty quickly. Okay, let's assume that you've done the fast and we're coming up now on let's say 16 hours or whatever other time you wanted to fast for. The question then is, how do we break the fast? Now, I mentioned in a previous episode that breakfast is not the most important meal of the day. Now, I mean, after all, all this, I'm talking about skipping breakfast. So breakfast isn't the most important meal of the day, but break fast is the most important meal of the day. However, 
when you're doing a 16 hour fast, it doesn't really make that much difference. I'll cover this in the next episode on prolonged therapeutic fasting, but with a 16 hour fast, even 18 or 24, it doesn't really make that much difference what you do for breaking the fast. Generally, I'd probably suggest you do a smallish meal with relatively low to no carbohydrate content, and then increase it later again if you're still hungry. The reason we do this is to not spike our insulin levels very high. This is to try and prevent against, you know, defend against a condition called refeeding syndrome. Now, doing intermittent fasting 16 hours, refeeding syndrome is incredibly unlikely to happen, but we'll cover this in another episode. You do need to be aware of refeeding syndrome, but it's really only if you're doing prolonged therapeutic fasting. If you're interested though, do some research into this, but I will cover it in the next episode. So fasting can be incredibly powerful, but should everybody be doing fasting? Unfortunately, like many things, we don't have the data to say categorically that it's healthy for everybody. There are some people who are not advised to do intermittent fasting, even though it's almost certainly going to be safe for them because I'm sure they've skipped breakfast at some point. We just don't have the data to support the use of it in all people. So it's not recommended to do intermittent fasting if you're pregnant or breastfeeding due to the increased metabolic demands on the body. The likelihood is it's not going to cause problems if you do skip a few meals here and there. I'm sure you've done it before. As long as you listen to your body, and if you're feeling faint or unwell, then you should eat. Now, it's not officially recommended, I have to tell you that. But I'm sure there's pregnant women all over the world that have skipped a meal here and there, by accident probably, and they didn't just have any massive problems. In fact, intermittent fasting could potentially reduce the risk of gestational diabetes significantly, and the possibility of other um, pregnancy-related issues. Although, there's no studies to my knowledge that have looked at that specifically. Unfortunately, it's pretty impossible to get ethical permission of, understandably of course, to test things on pregnant women. So the problem there is the data is always very, very lacking. Now, there's some obstetricians and fertility specialists that do recommend this way of eating, intermittent fasting to patients. Indeed, I was listening to a podcast recently with Dr. Anthony Chafee, the plant-free MD, and Dr. Robert Kiltz. Uh, Dr. Kiltz is a fertility specialist, I believe, in the US. And he was stating that he often recommends intermittent fasting for his patients, or intermittent feasting, as he calls it. Now, he stated he found it to be beneficial for nausea in pregnancy as well, particularly early on. And he's, his theory, anyway, is that patients following a carnivore diet in pregnancy, if they find that they maybe have like a meat aversion, which we know can happen, that actually this could potentially be fixed by a short period of fasting and actually eating less. Now, it's also not routinely recommended that children do intermittent fasting for similar reasons again. But again, if they're just listening to their body and not eating when they're not hungry, eating if they get hungry, they really shouldn't have any downsides. After all, I mean, we fast when we sleep. So you're just extending that a little bit. Now, of course, I hope this goes without saying, but I'll say it anyway to be very clear. Babies should not be doing intermittent fasting. As I mentioned earlier, fasting can sometimes increase the risk of things like gallstones or kidney stones. 
So if these are concerns you have, then you should speak to your doctor to get health advice. Now, people with cancer can do fasting and there is potential for it to help. Now, I can't say it's a cure for cancer and I'm not saying it's a cure for cancer. And you should definitely not stop conventional therapy as, as advised by your oncologist or hematologist. But I would encourage all patients with cancer to speak to their oncologist about intermittent fasting and what we call the metabolic mitochondrial theory of cancer. Now, I'll discuss this in a future episode, but I'll put a link to some information in the description. Basically, quickly, the metabolic mitochondrial theory of cancer really says that cancer is not just a genetic condition. It's actually really a metabolic condition and that the vast majority of cancer cells really can only utilize glucose as a fuel source. And if you starve them of glucose by doing things like intermittent fasting and being in the so-called fasted state, nutritional ketosis, that theoretically, this is a perfect chemotherapy because all the cancer cells will die and all the healthy cells in your body will live. Now, as I said, that's the theory. It's not proven. And I can't say it's a cure for cancer. But it could help. So I guess the question is, do you need to do intermittent fasting? Well, actually, no, you don't really. There's no real studies comparing intermittent fasting to other types of diet or lifestyle, such as the Mediterranean diet or the DASH diet or the Ornish diet, etc. But there is data for fasting mimicking diets. Now, this is a diet that puts you in a so-called fasted state. The FMD, or fasting mimicking diet, does actually show comparable results to the Mediterranean, DASH and Ornish diet for many health concerns. So what is FMD or fasting mimicking diet? Well, it's a diet where you eat foods really designed to maintain nutritional ketosis, the fasted state, which is basically a ketogenic diet. So if you're doing a keto diet or a carnivore diet, you'd likely don't actually need to do intermittent fasting on top. So carnivore diet really is by definition a ketogenic diet. So if you're following carnivore, you probably don't need to do intermittent fasting, which is what I covered in the previous episode. Some people, however, do claim that you do see further benefits. Most people doing a carnivore diet naturally find they only want to eat one to two meals a day anyway. So, I mean, really, they're doing naturally doing fasting without even realizing it anyway. I know I personally saw some small benefit from introducing fasting back into my diet and I did see benefit from when I was doing keto and intermittent fasting on top rather than just playing keto. But now I follow intuitive eating and I eat when I'm hungry. So some days it's two meals, others it's three and this works well for me. Sometimes it can be four or five meals, usually it's two. So one question I get asked is how long can you do intermittent fasting for? Not how long can you fast at any one time, but how long can you keep doing intermittent fasting for in, in total? Well, really the answer is as long as you like. There's no upper limit on how many times you can do intermittent fasting or how long in total you can go for. Some do it for a few weeks and then stop. Others will do it daily for months, sometimes years. For some, it's just a way of life and it suits them. Many do it intuitively 
and don't even know that they're doing it. There's no known harms of long-term intermittent fasting, and in fact many studies show multiple benefits. Now last I want to talk about weight loss and intermittent fasting. You can't really talk about intermittent fasting and not discuss weight loss. Many people will use intermittent fasting to try to lose weight, but does it work? Well yes actually studies show it definitely does work. There's multiple high-powered studies that demonstrate that people who do intermittent fasting lose more weight. They lose it quicker and they lose it for longer than controls whilst following the same daily diet otherwise. Now what does that mean in plain English? Well it basically means if you compress the same three meals a day into say two meals you'll probably lose fat and be healthier. It's actually independent of the calories or the content of the food and this has been corroborated by many many studies. Now you can obviously add a calorie reduction in as well and this could help you to lose more weight. The weight loss isn't really about the calories for most people, mostly what your body does with those calories. Now I'm going to be covering weight loss extensively in another episode but briefly weight loss is controlled by hormones like cortisol and insulin and both of these are essentially storage hormones, that is they put your body into a kind of storage mode. If your body is in storage mode, it doesn't really matter how many calories you eat. You'll likely struggle to lose weight because the body doesn't want to lose weight. If you aren't in storage mode, you will probably lose weight naturally. Intermittent fasting reduces both cortisol and insulin, and this can help you flip that switch out of storage mode, which is really how it helps, not the calorie reduction. Now, as we said earlier, even eating the same diet, those people who compressed it into one or two meals a day versus three normal meals lost more weight, lost it quicker, and lost it for longer when they returned to their previous diets. Now, this is actually a good time to talk about hormones. We mentioned leptin earlier, and of course, cortisol and insulin just now. But what about hormones? What about other hormones? So intermittent fasting has proven to affect testosterone levels in men and very likely to affect oestrogen and progesterone levels in females, mostly through a pre-hormone called kisspeptin. With regards to testosterone, most men find that initially testosterone levels can reduce slightly, but then in the longer term, usually a few months, levels can actually increase back above where their baseline was and actually produce higher testosterone as a result. Now interestingly the initial drop doesn't appear to actually be clinically significant but the rise afterwards actually is which is absolutely fascinating. Now testosterone levels going up is actually a good thing. I'm going to cover this in a future episode but testosterone has multiple health benefits for men and for women and we don't need to fear testosterone. Now, in females, we are much more concerned with estrogen and progesterone, and these can be affected by intermittent fasting. Some women appear to be affected more than others, and whilst in men, generally the effect is favourable, some women do find that intermittent fasting can adversely affect their cycle and hormone imbalance can occur, which can have negative effects. 
This is a very personal thing and unfortunately cannot be tested for prior to starting intermittent fasting. So you can't know if it will adversely affect you until you try it. Thankfully though, most women don't have any issues with intermittent fasting. And if you do, it's not permanent and will quickly resolve when you stop fasting. There's also some evidence, anecdotal yes, but there's some evidence that women who are affected by fasting will do better with longer but less frequent fasts rather than shorter but more frequent fasts. So intermittent fasting can be incredibly potent and potentially has multiple health benefits, is proven to be beneficial in fat loss and diabetes and anecdotally helpful in many other conditions. It's easy to do, requires no special training, no supplements or pills, and can be done by almost anyone. If you're pregnant, breastfeeding or a child, it's not routinely recommended. So if you do fall into these categories, then you should speak to your doctor about the risks and benefits of intermittent fasting, though it's not likely to be harmful. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Meat Medic Podcast. Subscribe for more episodes, and if you want to support this podcast, please see the links in the description. Thank you for this. Li Thank you for listening to this episode of the Meat Medic Podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review on your podcast platform of choice. It really does help to spread the word that how, how we can improve mental and physical health through diet and nutrition. If you are interested in improving your own... Okay, let's just re-record that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Meat Medic Podcast. If you found this episode useful, please leave a five-star review on your podcast platform of choice. It really does help out the channel to grow. If you have found this useful and you want to improve your physical and mental health further, please do check out my website, themeatmedic.com, where you can find all my eBooks are currently 50% off with the code 50OFF. That's code 50OFF50OFF for 50% off all eBooks. Take care. Thank you. See you in the next episode.